when you wake up in the morning, senior leader, what is it that floats your boat? What's, what, what is it really drives you? Because usually it's one thing. It's almost like a personality test, right? You're never 100% of one personality trait, but there's usually something that's really driving your behavior most of the time. And so that's what we were trying to uncover. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I hope you're having a great week and thanks for joining us again. My guest today has been on the show a few times before. It's Dan Adams, and Dan is the president of the AIM Institute, which is a really great company that focuses on helping B2B companies do a much better job at understanding their customers and discovering what we call the voice of customers. So if you haven't listened to his episodes before, I really encourage you to listen to them if that's your business, if you're in B2B and you want to get closer to your customers. So we'll make sure we put those in the links. But Dan has something new to talk to us about today. So Dan, welcome to the show. Nice to be with you, Paul. I always enjoy this time. Yeah, me too. How have you been? Good, good. Getting good. into the new year and we're having a lot of fun and with this new book and some other things as well. Yeah, yeah. So let's just go right into the book because I think you were, in some of the previous episodes, you were starting to get your, your thinking together on it and starting to think about it. So, so tell us about the book. Yeah. So the book is called Business Builders. And we did some research the year prior I teamed up with uh, Dr. Gina O'Connor at Babson, and we got a pretty good sized survey done, about 650 responses. And we wanted to find out about different leadership styles and essentially which ones led to growth. So in this survey, we had the respondents broken down into senior leader responding, middle management responding, or entry level, or I should say individual contributor responding. But they were all being asked about the behaviors of the senior leaders in all cases. So we, we basically divided. First of all, we characterized the senior leaders as one of four things. Or they self-characterize themselves. A builder, somebody who is delivering real value to customers and growing the company as a result. And this is very much what the founders of the companies did, right? Then there are decorators. And those are the folks who are primarily concerned with looking good every quarter financially to investors. And then there are the remodelers, and they're doing some really good work, quality, productivity. But if they're not building anything new, you're, you've kind of been a race to the bottom in commoditization. And then realtors, and those are the folks who are doing a lot of M&A. Now, we obviously did not use those terms in the survey. Yeah, right. we, we didn't think a lot of people would say, sign me up for decorator, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we gave a definition for each of those, and we okay. assigned the labels later, okay? Now, to be very clear, all of those are important functions. You do want to look good to Wall Street, and you do want to drive productivity. But one of our questions was, what is your primary passion, Okay. And half of the senior leaders ascribed builder as their primary passion, but only a third of their subordinates said their senior leaders were builders. So that's that does a lot more that we can talk about what we found, but 
basically the builder behavior was much more effective in driving growth. But that, that's the that's the essence of the study. Right, there's so much to unpack in what you just said. Did you find that the leaders did try to try to fall into multiple categories, and you had to kind of force them to pick a primary? Well, that's a great question, Paul. We actually asked two questions. One question, what is your primary passion? And the other question was, how do you apportion your time and resources? And we had those. And when we did that, you, you nobody was like zero on something and 100 on something else. Everybody was doing this. But we wanted to know, when you wake up in the morning, senior leader, what is it? that floats your boat? What's, what, what is it really drives you? Because there usually it's one thing. It's almost like a personality test, right? You're never 100% of one personality trait, but there's usually something that's really driving your behavior most of the time. And so that's what we were trying to uncover. Gotcha. And let's go through those four again in case somebody's jogging or driving and say, what were those four? Because I think it's really, really critical to understand them. Yeah. 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 So a builder is somebody who drives growth in their company by delivering market facing innovation. In other words, they're getting up in the morning. They're saying, what does my market need? What do my customers need? Let's deliver that through products and services. And the reason that is special is because every company that was ever founded was founded by a builder. There you go. Uh -huh. Nobody nobody started a company saying, I'm going to look good to the stockholders. They always started with, what can I deliver to the market that differentiated value? So that's the builder. And then the decorator, these are folks who feel their primary duty is to drive shareholder wealth, to look really good, to present a positive outlook, a financial outlook. It really bothers them if this quarter isn't going to look good because they've made promises. So they want to, it's almost like a, a decorate, it's a curb appeal. They want high curb appeal yeah, every quarter, like right? Great, great word, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then when you get to the, 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 the remodeler, they are doing good work. They're driving quality control programs. They're doing productivity, robotics. They're really doing some very, very important work. But here's the thing, if they only fixate on improving productivity and quality, those reach a point of diminishing returns. I mean, what do you do if you get to zero defects? What do you do next, right? Nothing. Yeah. Right. What do you do if your, your productivity is so high, you've got a lights out factory, there's no humans left, what do you do, right? And so if that's all you do, it's a race to the bottom of commoditization. But some of it's good. And then the last one is realtors. They're doing M&A and they love this stuff. And believe me, I've seen some, I'm going to be doing a talk for a, a company next week. And this leader is an absolute builder, but yet he's taken his company from a billion to eight billion. And a lot of that's acquisition, but it was done the right way. And his passion remained building. Okay. Because here's the thing. If all you do is behave as a realtor, after a while, you're building a house of cards. If you don't know how to grow what you've built. So that's, those are the four. Fantastic. So that person you were just talking to, he was primarily a builder, right? But, but also had that realtor approach, I guess. He did. He did. And it was a wonderful balance. And so when you have a pure realtor doing the M&A, sometimes the stuff doesn't make a lot of sense and they don't know how to grow it when they're done. And eventually, 
you know, you got some problems. There's some companies in the past that have, that have done that. And they, they blew up or imploded later. This gentleman, he could see what made sense. And he was adding these pieces on one by one, growing the business, but all the time growing organically what he had and what he was acquiring. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about the life cycle of businesses over the long term and thinking about founders grow a business to a certain size, but then they they need somebody else to take it to the next the next level. Lots of those cases of companies where CEOs, executives are brought in because because the the maybe the board realizes we need to position ourselves for M&A or we need to we need to remodel what we're doing is 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 needs to change and or whatever it is right so you you see this this pattern of companies changing CEOs yes and and now that you get these four definitions you can almost put the label on what they went from and to huh exactly and what's happened in a lot of them job said to scully you want to keep selling sugar while the rest of your life you want to come here and change the world right so there is this notion that we need somebody different. I, I would say that's true. We may need somebody different, but I would also say you still need the builder spirit being the main driver at the C level. What we need, though, is more support coming in. We need good investor relations. We need good M&A. We need good productivity. But if you say we don't need that builder mentality anymore, I'm not sure how you're going to compete in the long term. I'm not sure how you're going to be able to, if your passion isn't to deliver differentiated value to your markets, when your competitors are out there and you're fighting in day in, day out, I think that you're going to lose in the long term. Now, it may take years for that to happen. And that's why I think a mistake is being made because people don't notice it. They don't tie this in together. Yeah, fantastic. And it, it really is builder and innovation go hand in hand, don't they? <laughs> exactly. They really do. Yeah. But if you're a builder, I guess the key is be a builder, but hire what you need. Hire a remodeler or a decorator or, or a realtor if you need to, right? Exactly. Yeah. And you, you probably do. Those are really important functions. They're wonderful supporting functions. So if you're a builder, do that. And then also... Look to see what your succession plan looks like. Are you putting builders in place in the organization? One of the gentlemen I interviewed for the book, I don't think this even came out in the book. It was Tom Williams, recently retired chairman of the board for Parker Hannifin. They don't just um, look at the, the people who are succeeding the C-level. They look at the people succeeding the people who are succeeding the C-level. They go two layers down. And this is really a, a wise, wise strategy to maintain that builder mentality in the organization. The other thing it does is one of the most destructive things that can happen in any company is to get a pure decorator. Heaven help us if he's at the he or she's at the very top, but anywhere in an organization, because what they'll do is they'll find a business that was built up pretty good. And they can raid that business for several years while they're in there. They can really make it look good and really cripple the future. And as they're doing it, one of the main da damages is they're chasing away the would-be builders in their organization who don't want to uh, abide this. So it can be very damaging. So that succession planning and looking down to the organization for future builders 
is really key to long-term health of the business. Yeah, I really like Parker Hannafin. It's a great company, and they've been very good. That's interesting to hear you you talk about how they do that multi-level. It's very wise. And yet, at the same time, they've been great builders, but they have also done a bit of remodeling as they needed to, as they came along, especially in the way they did innovation. We've had people from Parker Hannafin speak on our podcast in the past talking about that. So pretty neat, pretty neat uh, story. Yeah. So I'm curious now that you said the leaders or the built half the leaders said they were builders. A third of the other people, the non-leaders or the, whatever you want to say that other category subordinates or, or, or other people at the next level down a third. So there's a difference there. So tell me about that difference. Was it profound across the categories? What does it mean? So we don't know what the right answer is. So somewhere between a third and a half are really builders, right? And you could say, even if they really are a half builders, we've got some of them that aren't, aren't demonstrating that, communicating that very well. But we found, we also looked at different size of companies. And the problem, the, the misconception or, or the, 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 the different perspective of how the leaders see themselves and how subordinates see the leader behavior gets exacerbated when you get above $2 billion in revenue. We had the top two levels we have were two to $5 billion and then over $5 billion in revenue. And when we got to those levels, there was a big miscommunication, if you will. The builders thought, their leaders thought they were doing pretty good and, and the subordinates thought they were doing awful. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, because we yeah. weren't, we, by the way, we weren't just measuring how they saw their style. We were also measuring lots of other things. Like, are you spending most of your time thinking about this year or three to five years or beyond? Or maybe it was two to three and over three. We also, this was a fascinating one. You know, what's your primary goal? Is it shareholder wealth? Is it driving growth through taking care of customers? Another one was, how's your balance between doing near-term cost controls and building capabilities? And so these were all parameters associated with the builder or non-builder style. Yeah, we, we saw some pretty stark differences in all of those, uh, <laughs> those metrics. Sure. Some great, great, great questions there. How did you come up with those questions? Is this just kind of came from your years of, of thinking about voice of customer or you know, where'd you get, the, what was the inspiration for that? Yeah, I spent 29 years working inside of corporations. And I don't when, know what happened, but I'm pretty sure I know who the first person I was working for, a Dutch businessman named Case Berhar. Brilliant, brilliant man. And I think I started calling him a builder way back. This would have been like 25 years ago. It was kind of funny when, when we were bought by another company, I could see the new leaders coming in and I knew where their heads were at. I thought I did anyway. So I went to my boss and said, could you please get me fired? <laughs> and so that's a whole funny story. It's not as easy as it sounds. If you want to get a severance package, you don't say I quit. So anyway, I, I, I guess even then I was noticing different styles, right? And I knew which style I wanted to work for. I knew which style I didn't want to work for. Then when we started the AIM Institute, this is where we do new product blueprinting training. What I would see over the years is, some companies would take this and run with it or tremendously successful. We'd train a couple thousand people in a company. Others, 
the team would do well, the first team or two or three, but it would just fizzle out. And what I realized, it all came down to leadership, what their priorities were. If the leader said, this is something we're going to do, and this is important to grow, we have this builder mentality, then they were successful. And so it's, I don't, you, you probably noticed this, Paul, when somebody has a new concept, they keep trying to tell American business men, American business how to do this. And, and they can get crotchety after a while. <laughs> if they, <laughs> I mean, you, you know, the story about Dr. Deming, right? American business didn't listen yeah. to him. He went over to Japan, met with Toyota, the quality movement. Well, I, had, I got to listen to him in the late 80s. He was probably like 90 years old. I spent a week learning uh, in a workshop from him. And uh, he was funny as all get out. But he was getting pretty crotchety because he told American business they didn't listen, right? And I'll give, I could give some other examples, but some of them are still alive, so I, I, won't, I won't give the examples. So my choice was either get crotchety or write a book. <laughs> I thought, well, let's not give up on them yet. Let's let's write a book and see if, if that can help some. Yeah, you're not old enough to get crotchety. you got a few years <laughs> well, yet. I don't know about that. <laughs> so, so, but Dan, you, it's interesting because a lot of us, there's a feeling this company I'm working for, the leadership, not quite right for me, but we don't have the vocabulary, the framework to articulate why. And you've just, in this book, given us that. You can, it's certainly one of the things I encourage people to look at to say, because just like you did, where do you want to work? Right. Think about these four, <laughs> these four styles and try to say, okay, yeah, that's, that's the one for me. That's the one where I'm going to be, at least now in my career, where I am, I'm going to be most happy with. You could use this, this framework for that. You really hit a, a really important point. That's one of our goals is we want people who have that natural inclination to build. And there are a lot of them out there. You work with them. I work with them. We want them to be able to say, ah, this is this is why I do it. And this is how I can explain it to others who never really understood why I'm doing it. So so we want to, you know, we want to comfort the, the afflicted a little bit. But we also <laughs> want to afflict the comfortable a little bit, too. Right. So if somebody is at this thing and they've been a decorator and people kind of know it in your organization and like, you know, this 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 leader's just looking out for themselves and trying to get that next bonus and the next rung up and they're managing up. I'm OK if they get a label of a decorator. Right. Mm -hmm. That's all yeah. right. Good point. Good point. <laughs> Well, you also in, in in the book talk about these errors, these six six errors. I think that you you call them unforced leadership errors. Maybe we can talk about those a little bit. Yeah, let's start with the goal. I mean, well, let's start with the duty. Our belief is the duty of a senior leader is to leave their business stronger than they found it. Period. Now, there's a lot of other things that you go with. That's the first duty. There's a lot of other things you want to do along with that balance scorecard and so forth. But our our position is if you failed in that first duty to leave your business stronger than you found it, you have failed. And Jack Walt spent 20 years doing absolutely amazing things for GE and was called the manager of the century. But yet, if you look at the next 20 years afterwards, he gutted it out and it never did return to its original stock value, even the metric he was going for. And so he did not leave his business stronger than he found it. So 
that's the first duty. The second error that we like to look at is all about the goal. And this is a question we ask, what is your primary goal? And we gave several options, maximize shareholder wealth, drive growth through differentiated value to customers, and then operational excellence, some other things, okay? And what we found was, a, we also, I should, I should say this, we also asked some questions for the respondents to self-assess the company, of their, their, the growth of their company versus competition. Are you growing faster than competition? Are you growing the same as competition? Are you growing slower? Okay, and these are self-assessments, but still we had 600 plus data points. And here's what we found. The companies that had senior leaders focused on shareholder wealth tended to grow slower than those who were focused on creating customer value. In fact, the slower growth company, the, the faster growth companies, only 30% of the senior leaders named shareholder wealth as their primary goal. But in slower growth companies, 70% said slower growth is my main goal. Now, those are correlations, not causation. We can't prove this. But it does say if you're a board of directors, and everybody's been saying our goal is shareholder wealth, you ought to be a little bit nervous about that. Yeah, um, yeah, great point. We also get into some some reasons why we we think that this is a, we think it's a lovely result, maximizing shareholder wealth. We think it's a lousy goal. It's not inspiring. It's not something most people can actually contribute to. Let's go for the earnings per share this, this quarter. And, and I don't know if I should get into this, but it doesn't even make sense from an investment standpoint. Let, let me just explain briefly. If, if you have a company that has earnings of a billion dollars this year, okay, and it's got a PE ratio of 20, price to earnings of 20, that means the value of the company, the market cap is 20 billion, right? Now, the question is, Wait a minute, we earned a billion dollars. How come we're worth 20 billion? What's the extra 19 billion dollars? Well, it's not about what we did this year. We already got that covered. It's all about expectations of the future. So if you have a management team that's focused on the 1 billion, they, the, what we did this year, they're taking a very small lever on this thing. If you have management focus on what the market really is looking at, which is your future, the 19 billion, you're going to be more successful. So trying to satisfy near-term shareholders, it's, in fact, let me give you one more example. Let's imagine you, you like to stay in shape. So you, you enter yourself in a, in a 10,000 meter race, okay? And we'll say there's a stadium here and you're going around the track. <laughs> you got to do four, 40 of these laps, right? Or is it, no, 25, got to do 25 laps around here, okay? So imagine this, Paul. You're doing pretty good in this race, but there is a spectator in the span in the stand who has placed a side bet on how mm. you're going to do on lap number 17. OK, now here's the question. Are you going to run all out for that spectator with a side bet on lap 17 and exhaust <laughs> yourself? and lose? Of course not. Right. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing in the stock market. The average investor is holding the market, the stock for less than six months. So we're kind of crazy getting all worked up over the near term. And wise builders, take Jeff Bezos at Amazon, 
he didn't make any profit for seven years, but he was able to communicate a vision on the future. And that's what leaders need to do today. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know what goes on inside Microsoft, but I find it fascinating that they, they now just passed up Apple. It's been fun to watch. Apple was the biggest. Now Microsoft passed them up. It's, and I don't, I don't think Microsoft, they, they focus on great products, doing something special, right? They're really focused on, on just providing great outcomes. The results come along. Yeah, some people would say after Gates, they may have lost that builder mentality for a little bit, but I think they've got it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually think, having heard Steve Bomber talk, I don't know, he was almost, maybe maybe he was a, a bit of a, a decorator, but Satya Nadella for sure is a builder. It's fun to see. Absolutely. One of the most, most favorite quotes I got out of the book was, it was about the builders. You said that builders don't cross a finish line. They pass a baton. I love that quote. Yeah, it's it's a different mentality, isn't it? I'll give you a quick story. This, I think, might have been in the book as well. So at one company, the chief technology officer told me a really sad story. He went to a group president and trying to get the innovation fired up. The group president said to him, yeah, I don't really believe in innovation. <laughs> the CTO goes, what? What? <laughs> you don't believe? And, and the group president looks at him and says, I'm going to be retiring in less than two years. So anything we do now really isn't going to help me. So somehow this group president, at least he uses outside voice, but how many people have an inside voice that's thinking that way, right? He had converted this as like a prize he had won. I've got to this level. It's like a laurel wreath. What kind of booty can I gather up before I leave? That's That was his thinking, clearly. That's not what a builder, that's not how a builder thinks. A builder says, when I, in fact, we have two examples of departure speeches in the book. One departure speech is, I'm leaving now, and in the last X years, which conveniently lines up with how long I've been here, we've done this and this and this and this. That's fine. That's fine. The other speech is, I'm leaving now, and here is why we are positioned for, for the future. And so I encourage boards of directors to do a mental exercise when they're putting C-level people in, which one will give the first speech and which one will give the second speech. You really need somebody who has that builder mentality. Leave your business stronger than you found it. Yeah, yeah, that's a great, great example. A great idea for boards hiring executives for sure. Yeah. Well, Dan, who, who would you like to read this book? Who would you write this book for? Yeah, so that that's a great question, Paul. I would love to have young people who are still early in their career who have an opportunity to decide which way they're going to look at this and say, I'm going to take the builder path, the road less traveled, if you will. I would love to even see middle management. It's a tough, tough position to be in, say, we, we can do better here. I would absolutely love to see senior leaders in companies take this on and say, we're going to make sure we get that succession planning right. We'll do 360s. We'll find the decorators and get them out of here before they do any more damage, that sort of thing. But ultimately, ultimately, the audience that probably will have the most impact is the one you just mentioned, boards of directors. And so that's where I'm hoping at some point to have a little bit of a, of a podium and, and be able to reach some of these. Now, think about the average board of director. I mean, they come out of other companies where they were 
they were senior leaders. They may or may not have been builders, right? And so I don't know how it will be received, but I think their fiduciary responsibility goes well into the future. And so I would hope that there will be some that would read this and say, yeah, we need to get the right senior leaders in place. We need to we need to attract the right investors. Right. That's a big we talk about that a little bit in the book. So that would be probably the group that could make the most positive change take place. Yeah. Have the biggest impact for sure. I think so. And, and it's a it's as you said, as I said, this is a like a, a framework to have that assessment, which is, I think, re- the best part about it, from my view, is it's a framework. I can look and I can say, OK, decorator, builder, remodeler, you, you have a you have a language, you have a way of of of, of positioning a person. So well, you, you mentioned assessment, too, and we do actually have a free website uh, that people can go to. It's called areyouabusinessbuilder.com. Uh-huh. And uh, they can go out and they can answer. I think it's 20 questions. I can't remember now. And it's, it's not like you're wrong if you didn't score 100. That's fine. But these questions measure your belief system. And here's the interesting part. You may be a builder at heart, but you may have just been told that maximizing shareholder wealth is a good idea. You just didn't know, right? Yeah. And so we even sometimes encourage people to, take it a second time if they want, right? Because they may go in thinking this was the right way. And then when they take the assessment, they can download a pretty good report and uh, tells them their score up to 100. But it also says, well, here's why maximizing shareholder wealth is not a good goal. And they can go and look in the book more if they want, or they can take our explanation. So we're hoping to kind of change people's belief systems now, some of them, they're going to land and they're going to they really aren't a builder, but but they're just a fantastic remodeler. And we need those people and we need some good investor relationship people, too. So not everybody needs to be a builder, but it's kind of good to know where you're at, what your passion is, what your belief system is. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a tremendous gift you've given people, the ability to do that self-assessment. So that I, I got to thank you for that. That's a wonderful thing to have done. And I know the book, the book does lead you to the assessment. And like you said, you could use them hand in hand. They, they go together for sure. Well, Dan, it's been a fun conversation, as it always is. I don't know if there's a final comment you wanted to make before we, we sign off, but I love when you come on the show and talk to us about stuff like this. Well, actually, just I'll make one last point. We didn't have time to get all the six things to right. change, obviously. But there's one that if the, if people would take a look at this, this is the near-term cost control one. In the book, I won't get into too much here, but we get into first order and second order effects. And the in a lot of executives, we talk about tipping the first domino. Oh, I've got to hit my first quarter earnings. And then how that slows down projects and innovation. And later on, we have a, a situation where like, hey, why aren't we growing faster? So we, we, <laughs> we, we, we call this first domino fixation. And then a few years later, when we aren't growing fast enough, and they go, they never say, well, it's because those crazy cost freezes. We call that first, we call that first domino amnesia. So I would, <laughs> I would encourage yeah. leaders, if they want to make one fix, is stop the sometimes near-term cost controls 
and instead work on building capabilities. I'll leave it at that, but that, that could be very helpful for me. Yeah, that's great. And I think we, 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 we can tease the, uh, the audience a little bit to say, get the book and you kind of go through all six in, in more detail, which is, is great. I think it's just, so it's not just, Hey, here's four, four personality types or four types of leaders, but here's six major things to think about. So it's a, it's a great book. Yeah. We try to make, that all the way through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dan, I really thanks. Thank you for stopping by, sharing that with us. Really gracious of your time. Sure. Appreciate it. It's always a pleasure, Paul. Thanks for having me on. You bet. And so I encourage all of you, check out the show notes. We'll have links. Go look for the book. It's a great book. This Business Builders is a, is a super, super idea. And I wish you all a great week ahead. Take care, everybody. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.